Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. We are live with the one and only DJ EFN. What's going on, EFN? What's going on, man? I need the air horn. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to thank you for everything that you do for the real hip hop culture out here. As someone that's a young DJ and radio host, I'm someone that tries to put on for that real hip hop culture. And you've been continuing since you started it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Working with Noriega and just starting your own company and own brand. I want to go back to the very, very beginning of growing up in LA and moving to Florida. What was it like growing up in LA? I mean, I, I can't really say that I grew up in LA because I was so young, you know, but mm-hmm. it's definitely a part of my my roots and, and a part of my DNA because I went often to LA. I, had, I still got family in LA. Um, so I, I moved to Miami and from a really young age, uh, around seven years old, six, seven, something like that. And grew up here in Miami, Florida. So, so I grew up in Miami, but, but I mean, just, I think that having that, that those roots in LA and, and having that family and going back and forth a lot helped uh, kind of like build, you know, who I am today. And kind of like, even like when it comes to like musical tastes and stuff like that, like, like LA, I always had like, you know, a love for LA hip hop too, you know? Mm-hmm. What was it like going down to Miami when you first got there? Because you had the whole two live crew thing going on down there. And that was the culture at the time. Yeah. I mean, I try to explain to people that, you know, I was a kid at, when two live crew hit the scene and there was no difference in two live crew as there was to me uh, listening to run DMC. It was, it, it was all a part of the rap music uh, scene at the time. And it, it wasn't like, a, I didn't think of it. Like, oh, this is from Miami. Like it, it, two live crew was big. Yeah. It was bigger than Miami. So it was just like, you know, I had in my tape decks, I was listening to Two Life Crew. I was in Run DMC, LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, um, you know, Dougie Fresh, you name it. And I'm listening. It was just a part of, of, of the pot of all the rap music that I'm listening to at the time. Who were some of the DJs that inspired you? I'm sure there's countless of ones that did. I mean, some of the major inspirations for me, uh, Kid Capri is a major inspiration. Um, uh, Terminator X from Public Enemy. Dre and Yella from NWA, um, Cut Creator that was with LL Cool J, um, Jazzy Jeff, of course. You know, all those guys, Eric B, like seeing them in the videos, that was like a big influence. You know, you would see like the, you could, even though they didn't, they weren't on the mic and they weren't in the forefront, That that's what called my attention. I could tell that they were the ones, you know, that were kind of controlling what was going on. And and when I learned more about the culture and understanding that the the foundation that is hip hop is the DJ, then, you know, that it even drew me in more. Being a DJ and someone that cares about the culture, what is your opinion on the art of DJing nowadays? Because now you can have an app and DJ from it. You have the people who just press the button and play it on air. Even DJs aren't even highlighted as much anymore. And the culture right. has totally changed where I don't think these young kids even know what vinyl turntables are. Yeah, no, I mean... <laughs> It's, it's, I have different trains of thought when it comes to, to the, to the state of DJing today, you know, my first initial thoughts are like, oh man, it, it, you know, it's no good anymore. Um, But the truth of the matter is that a good DJ is always going to shine and a DJ with skills, you know, even though, yeah, this technology makes it easier for most people to DJ or just call themselves a DJ, uh, that technology in the hands of a skilled DJ, like my homie DJ Craigs was from my hood who's a world renowned, oh, yeah. you know, battle DJ. And I mean, he's more than a battle DJ, but he, he, you know, he takes the technology and he makes magic out of that. So I think that, that the, the art of DJing is still alive and well, it's just that, you know, it's not, 
it's not the same. Let's just put it that way. It's not the same as it was before. Something that disappoints me with DJs nowadays, especially when you hear it on the radio, I feel as though they don't get that spotlight as they used to. I think the only DJ that I know from the local stations in New York is DJ Chuck Chillout. They still let him do his thing on WBLS and he scratches those records up like crazy. Right. I would love to see that art come back again, but everything's so commercialized and radio's so heavily into the marketing scene and getting paid by these labels to play these records, which the hip hop scene today, especially with these records is just, I, I agree with you and what you guys talk about on your show. The music is just, I'm not a big fan of it. The new right. artists that come out today, I think there's a complete disconnect. And you, I've heard you say it before that you think it's your generation's fault why the yeah, young kids yeah. don't know about the old culture. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any beef with with necessarily the the new artists. I just have a beef with the disconnect and mm -hmm. and for the 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 lack of caring of of you know of like kind of knowing the culture and the history of the culture. And, and it doesn't mean you have to know everything because I don't even know everything. <laughs> but you to want to know is 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 a big deal, you know, because it's it's your it's our culture. And so, you know, and then, and then that comes to like the elements. And when we talk about like DJing, like for someone to say they're into hip hop and not understand that there's these elements in hip hop that make the culture and that DJing is one of the most important elements. Um, I mean, they're all important, but it was the foundational element that, you know, you ask the average kid that they wouldn't know that. And so, yeah, the dynamic and, of the DJ has changed today in the culture. And yeah, the DJs aren't doing what they were doing before, uh, especially like on commercial radio. But I do think that there is a lot of places for the DJs to those kind of DJs to go out there and flourish. And like I said, I always reference my boy, DJ craze. He's out there still killing it. He's still touring. Yeah. He's getting big, you know, endorsement deals. So skills are still relevant in that sense. And I, I challenge anybody who doesn't understand that to go see one of these DJs spin and hear them spin. And it doesn't even, the DJ doesn't even have to go crazy doing all kinds of tricks, you know, turntableism. They could just, show you their skills in the minor ways that they mix and blend these records seamlessly. Like if that was the record, you know, from the start. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's alive and well still, man. You brought up Terminator X before I was listening to, you know, bum rush the show today by public enemy, public enemy, number one, one of my favorite public enemy songs. You don't hear the cuts in records anymore like that. Right. That's totally yeah. disappeared. And I just think about back to it because we look back mainly as the 90s as the golden era, but mm -hmm. the 80s had some amazing records where this these kids nowadays wouldn't even understand the 80s. We can't even right. get them to understand the 90s, but the 80s, the Cool G Rap, Digital Underground, and Ultra Magnetic well, MCs. Yeah, the late 80s set up that golden era, you know, yep. without that late. And then really and truly, many would argue and I would kind of agree that the late eighties to mid nineties is the golden era. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the actual golden era, but, but yeah, no, I mean, you don't hear the cuts anymore and it. I don't necessarily think it's because of any other reason than legal copyright stuff that ended up happening. People started getting mad about their, their voices being sampled even in cuts. And so that kind of like it, it handicapped the DJ to, 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 play with these different cuts and sounds because then all of a sudden you have people hunting to to sue basically mm -hmm. i want to get into this comes into your your new album here miami's mixtape king and what you are what did you love most about making this project it's actually not really an album um my my true album that i pride myself is calling my album is another time, another time. Mm -hmm. yeah which came out in 2015 
this this was a project that it was just me taking a bunch of original mixtape music that I had throughout the span of 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have a lot more, but that's just, these are some of the more polished, uh, late, like studio records that I made for my mixtapes with some, you know, artists that people might know and then people in my crew. And I just decided to put this project together with those records. I would never, in, in no sense is that like a, like a, like a, a, a studio album that I would say, like, if you want to see a DJ, you know, hear a DJ EFN studio album, what I would call an album, it's another time. Another time. MC8 was on it. Spec the deck. Yeah. MOP. Yeah. Yeah. You, you had some legendary artists on there. You've worked with a lot of them. Who's someone that you haven't worked with yet on one of your mixtape that just eats at you and, and you just think about every day. I got to achieve that goal eventually. I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, um, too many to even to name. Like I would love to, I mean, I've had like, I've worked to some capacity in the marketing side. And then I've had like drops from him, which is Kanye. I would love to do something with Kanye. Um, I would love to do something with Kendrick, with J. Cole, um, uh, Outkast, you know, like there, there's just so many artists I could, you know, when you ask a DJ, I, this is at least my issue, but, but DJs have, have told me they have the same issue. When someone asks them, name your top, whatever, or what's your favorite song? Or what's your favorite artist? Because a DJ thinks in, in like, you know, you, you have so many records in your head and so many artists, it's hard to like pinpoint. It, it's, it definitely is. And you work with a lot of people and, and just talking about your early career, because you also had experience in college radio DJing at the University of Miami. Mm -hmm. Looking back on those times, what do you love most about those times or something that, you know, really kickstarted off your career? Because college radio is where you really kickstart off your career. Right. I mean, it was hilarious for me because I didn't go to the University of Miami. Mm -hmm. um, I basically deboed my way into into that show. And, and that show uh, was the, called the Hip Hop Shop. Was It's a legendary hip hop show in Miami when, you know, there was a, in the early to mid 90s, uh, there was no mix show and no, there wasn't a lot of hip hop on commercial radio in Miami. Mm -hmm. So the only places you could hear hip hop on the radio was on college radio, public radio and underground pirate radio. So I already did, I did pirate radio and then the hip hop shop, which was like I said, a legendary show, which different people would take over the role as, and they just had like people man the boards. They didn't have usually a mix show. So I told my homegirl at the time that was running the show, you know, cause we would go there and promote stuff all the time. They were, you know, they, they were for the community to go in there and promote. And I said, look, I'll bring my turntables. Let me come in here and do the mix show for you guys. And they, they never had really done that. So I'm, I would lug my, my, my turntables over there, my records, you know, vinyl then. And, um, and, and long and behold, I had a, a college radio show all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's hilarious. But there was a picture that I want to bring up in the interview today that you posted. And I believe you have a sticker of Jizz's liquid swords on it. Oh yeah. I posted that today. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you could tell the story behind this picture and where this was at, I think the audience would really enjoy it. Yeah, that um, that's one of the first uh parties that I did, um, one of the first parties I did. Period, and, and you know, because before that I was doing like house parties, and so this was more like, like so to set the stage so people can understand, because it's hard to like look back and think that there was a time where hip hop wasn't in clubs and hip hop wasn't on the radio. <laughs> uh, people would be like, "What are you talking about?" So. In Miami's known for clubs, but there wasn't hip hop heads going to go to a club and hear hip hop. And so we were creating these our own parties in, in like warehouses, in, in, in ballrooms, wherever we could put together, get a venue to let us, you know, rent it out or do whatever. 
and bring our turntables and set up a sound system, we're doing a, a party or a jam. So that right there was one of the first, like more, I would call it like clubbish uh, parties that I did before that. It was more like house parties and stuff like that, warehouse parties. And that was a party called Club Downtown that me and my crew Crazy Hood did. It was in a in a lounge in a hotel in, in Miami, in the downtown Miami area. That's why we called it Club Downtown. And that's my homie Drain, who now people know him as Drain Flicks. He's a photographer on Drink Champs. He's also from the group, a group that we had called The Alliance, The All. He's one of the MCs and producers. And so he used to be my hype man. He, you know, I, I ended up later on being my own hype man, but <laughs> you know, he, he was in the beginning, he was crucial because I didn't have that voice yet. I didn't, I wasn't confident in, you know, voicing my own, you know, set. So he was the hype man for me and I would get on the turntables and, and, you know, right then I, I could just still remember, like, it was such a small community of hip hop heads back then in Miami, like diehard hip hop heads. There was only a few thousand really, truly in, in, at that time. Um, and, you know, you, most of those people were there right in front of me from all over the city. You had all these hip hop heads and I, and, you know, just, I just remember just the joy of spinning at those type of events. At what age did you receive your first pair of turntables? Uh, um, I got my first set, which I really don't consider my first set because it was called the DJ starter kit from the back of the source magazine. They had an <laughs> ad to sell you like a whole starter kit. It was Gemini turntables and Gemini mixer, but they were belt drive. Terrible. And, but I love those. You couldn't tell me anything about those. And that was around, I was probably 17, 16 or 17, 17, I think. And it wasn't until I was about 18 or 19 that I finally was able to get my Technique 1200s. And when I graduated to those, that's when I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. <laughs> How easy was it for you to get acclimated to these newer style turntables, the Pioneer DDJSXs? I'm, I'm not. <laughs> you, know what I'm you still, like, you still DJ on vinyl? I mean, it, Yes, I do, yeah. but I haven't. I'm. I wouldn't call myself. I'm not like an active DJ like that. Like I. I mean, I have my turntables right here in front of me. I got my vinyl here. I spin all the time here in in my studio and office, but I'm not going out there gigging anymore. Yeah. Um. So I'm not. You know, I was kind of sponsored by Tractor early on, you know, Native Instruments, and I feel terrible because I never really like got into it. Uh, it just, it, it didn't speak to me the way that that vinyl did. Now, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I have no love for lugging around a bunch of wax because that killed my back and, and, and it sucks to carry all those physical records everywhere but there was a different feeling of going through records in the middle of a party and and i felt like that in itself was like an art form or a culture where you're like going through records and you just know by the label and you whip it out fast and and boom 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 and you throw it on versus like imagine the speed now on a, on a, on a laptop but you had to do that in real time with vinyl it was it was something man it was something to say for that. I think the digital age has really taken away elements of hip hop. I'm someone that still collects vinyls and even compact disc CDs. That feeling of picking up a vinyl of an old school record, there's nothing like it in the world. If you had to choose the rarest record that you think that you have to date that you cherish the most, what would it be? See, that's another, that's a tough uh, question it's for tough. a DJ. But I'm going to make it easy on myself. I'm going to go back to one of the first vinyls I bought my myself. I had a couple records already that was gifted to me, you know, handed down to me or whatever. But the first one I went and bought myself was uh, self-destruction. Mm. And, and on the, and what was special about that record, and I still, I still have it 
is on the back of that record it has all the lyrics and if anybody knows about self-destruction it has you know at that time it had all the top artists krs1 heavy d heavy d public enemy d nice like you name them they were on the record and it had everybody's verses and i so i knew everybody's verses top to bottom and so that was my you know that's to me that's like the prize of my collection that's a rare record how do you think how much do you think it would go for nowadays I have no idea, but I would never sell it. And I have doubles because, you know, back, we always got doubles. The singles, the singles, you always had to keep a double. Yep. Yep. So you could work. I want to get into creating your brand and with the crazy hood mixtapes going out there and promoting. When did this all start and how did you get your brand going and networking with people in the industry to get your name out there? It was just taking something that I, that came to me. I mean, naturally in a sense, I just was like, okay, well, I don't have resources. I don't have money um my crew or myself we don't have the money to go out there and make a big splash so what are we going to do so i would go to like the the local uh, kinkos and just uh you know make a bunch of copies of flyers our own flyers our own posters i would make my own mixtape covers and i was just my whole thing was just smashing it everywhere like just getting it everywhere and and my my first strategy was like everybody in the city has to know about me before I try to tackle anywhere else, you know, cause that, that's just the way it had to be. And every, every part of the city, because, you know, the way cities are set up, you know, one part of the city doesn't like the other part of the city, but I was like, I don't care. I'm gonna go everywhere. And even if they don't like me, at least they're going to know about me. So we were just, my crew, we were like 10 deep. We, you know, we made our own t-shirts. We're all rocking the same uniform. We we're going to the flea market. We're going to the malls. We're going to the, to the parks and, and, you know, the ball courts. And we're just, going out there and then our shirt said who's crazy on the back so it's just like my whole thing was like you just go out there and, and be an army and be seen and and let the brand just be seen everywhere and and i took that you know that strategy with everything i did and and i would try to get creative like i used to do this fax campaign i was like how, how do i get the people outside of miami how do i get the industry to start to acknowledge me and so i would look in the in the magazines and i would see these fax numbers for these record labels so I would just, and I bought a fax machine and I would just start faxing them every day, like a flyer of my mixtape, like DJ EFN or Crazy Hope Productions. And later on, I would meet these people. They'd be like, you're that motherfucker that was sending us this <laughs> random ass faxes. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. So it worked, it worked. And I would just do like weird creative things like that because out of necessity, you know, and, and then my crew, since we were deep, we would, we would collect money in, in a pool and we had, we would pay dues. Like I would make everybody pay dues. We were young dudes, but I try to make us real organized, real, really militant. So, and that make, made us stand apart from anybody, all the other crews locally that were doing it because they were just like, we just want to be famous. And I was like, we got to, we got to really stick to our guns if we're going to make this work. And, and we were in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. It, you just built up an amazing brand, especially going into radio because originally you were on XM radio before it became serious XM. Yeah, Nori and I were on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a show that, I mean, it was the precursor to Drink Champs. It, it looked and sounded like Drink Champs. Militant, crazy raw radio. Yeah, Nori named the show. He wanted all the elements of everybody involved. Militant is his crew, Crazy is Crazy Hood. And Raw was the station we were on. Shout out to Leo G, who that was his station, um, 66 Raw on XM. And then and then after the you know post-merger, we were on on there and we we went to a bunch of different channels uh hip-hop nation and backspin and and different uh and we were on there for a couple years Mm -hmm. when was the first time that you met nori i'd love to hear that story 
Um, actually, I just posted something today. I had I got interviewed by the legendary Sugar Hill Gang. Oh, and that's they, fire. They have a podcast. Yeah, and they asked me the same question. And basically, uh, I had a store in 97 called Crazy Goods, me and my homie Eddie Giggs. You sold fashion. It was a hip-hop clothing store, yep. Uh, which, again, back then, it was hard to find hip-hop gear. Yep. So uh, so I had the store, and, and, and Nori was coming on a promo run for the Capone Noriega album, and the promoters brought him by my store. I had a, a four track where I used to get freestyles from my mixtapes. He laced a bunch of uh, freestyles for me and we just hit it off and we maintained this relationship where we did a lot of stuff. We toured together. Uh, he was on my mixtapes. We just did a lot of things to the point where eventually he moved to Miami and was working out of my studio. And, and that's where Drink Champs was born. I have legendary shows, legendary interviews, the best in the game. You've got some big news coming up here. I saw Drake's going to be on the show soon. Yeah, I mean, I think the news got ahead of what it really is. Drake has been set to come on Drink Champs for a while. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be uh, that Nori saw him recently in L.A. And Drake just confirmed it's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. A lot of people think it happened already. It hasn't happened <laughs> no. yet. And um, it's just going to happen real soon. When he gets into that studio space with you, what's going to be on your mind? And what are you wanting to ask him most? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't really go in with too many pre-set questions in my mind. Mm-hmm. Now, I have the luxury of being able to do that because Nori is the driver of the conversations usually. Um, so I have that luxury and I, and I kind of let Nori get everything out of his system for the first half of the show. And then, you know, and then I'll, I'll start, you know, really asking some stuff. But my whole thing is I really love the organic nature of Drink Champs and that it goes wherever, whenever. Um, and so I kind of let that, let the feel of the show and the, and the, and the attitude of the person dictate what's going to be asked and how we're going to ask it. It's, I don't consider us a Q and a journalistic show. I consider us uh, a hangout. Show. Yeah. It's a conversation. It's yeah. like, we're, and that's what me and Nori spoke about early on and what we wanted. It's like, we, we want to bring the audience into conversations that were happening in the studio that were happening backstage mm-hmm. over some drinks and that most people never got to hear, you know, these, these, these very, you know, candid conversations. Now they're, they're getting to hear them. So they're not Q and a, you know, question and answer type of uh, interviews. Rest in peace to DMX. I know you guys were, were very close with him. He yeah. was the one to really make your show legit. People yeah. took drink champ seriously. As soon as he came on, what was that first show? Like just him pulling up for the first time for people that may not have seen it. And going into that quote that he said during his show, which was very eerie because he said that if you were to drop dead today, you would have lived a good life. Right. Which was the second, well, the third, actually the third appearance. Third one. He did a quarantine episode via zoom with us uh, last year as well. Um, That first episode was insane. I mean, drink champs, we came out the box pretty successful. Like we were pretty successful from the first episode as a podcast um, in terms of what people were, were gauging the success of a podcast at the time. But to be like, when I say household name, I mean, in hip hop, like in terms of the hip hop audience, it was that DMX episode that kind of put us on the radar of the average hip hop head out there that maybe wasn't, you know, into podcasting. So we really, we knew that it was going to be a big episode. 
and we we wanted him from the beginning and our manager one of our managers at the time was uh also dmx's manager mm -hmm. our homie ali and you know he was trying to make it happen too but like a lot of people especially at that time and specifically dmx he didn't know what a podcast was and he's like, what is this? What, what crazy thing is, is Nori doing now? Like, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. I don't. And he really, especially at that time, he wasn't doing a lot of interviews either. He was, he had some issues going on at the time. And he was just like, I'm not going to do interviews because people are going to try to like, you know, catch me and, 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 you know, whatever, get some headlines. So it took like a whole day of hanging out. He was in Miami at the time, a whole day of hanging out going to his hotel where he was at. We brought the studio to the lobby of the hotel. We asked the, the people in the, you know, at the front desk, can you turn down the, the lobby music that they had? They looked at us crazy. We're like, we're about to interview DMX. They looked at us even crazier um, in the middle of the lobby where anybody was walking by <laughs> and he was, and then Nori was trying to like keep him, you know, like, like, cause he would, could have left at any moment, you know? And he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't into like what it was. He was just like, ah, I guess if, I'll sit with you, you know, whatever, if I have time. And then finally, and then we had an issue that, that, like I said, I've told this before, it could be a movie, the behind the scenes of that episode, but our computer crashed right before we were ready to start. And imagine we're using Wi-Fi off the lobby of the hotel to try to reboot the computer and download something, a plugin. <sighs> Brother, that, that thing last, it took like an hour or two hours. It was insane. And that's what we had the whole DMX and, and Nori was just trying to like hang with him and, and pre-party with him before we get to do it. And then finally the computer was ready. He sat down with us and he gave us that legendary episode, um, which took us over the top uh, in terms of what we were doing. And just looking back at what is, what he said on the show about he could drop dead right now and that he lived a good life. What are you, you and Nori thinking at this point? Did he see something? Did he predict that something may have happened in the maybe happening in the future? Uh, and again, I just want to be clear. That's the third time. That yeah, we that's the third episode. The most recent one. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, man, we didn't uh, we didn't think anything of it because he you know, he was healthy. He was happy. He was really in a great state of mind. He had, he had his, some of his kids with him and his, his friends and family. I mean, we were just like, I, when anybody says, you know, something morbid like that in general, I'm just like, yo, chill, like don't jinx yourself. Um, and that's what we did. That was our, our reaction, but we weren't thinking anything prophetic was happening there. Uh, it was just like, nah, man, you're going to be good. You, you know, we're, we're enjoying ourselves right now. And, you know, and, and this is just the beginning of, of a new chapter for him with the new album that he was talking about. And we we're just excited for him, man. And we, it was just a really enjoyable episode. He was just such a pleasure to to sit down with on i mean he was always was but this specific time because he was in such a good space it was just that much better he was working on the comeback album he even said it griselda pop smoke usher yeah. alicia keys there were so many great artists that he Crazy. had on there yeah. i wonder when that's going to come out because i and with everything that happened right now i don't know if the album was finished i know when he was on your show he said he had a couple more songs that he had to get done first Hopefully we see that. I think we'll, we'll definitely need to have that by the end of the year if they want to move forward with it. Rest in peace to him, man. Yeah, man rest in peace. Bro. Rest in peace to DMX. Yeah. Do you think Jay-Z will be on Drink Champs anytime in the near future? That's a tough one, man. Because we all know how Jay-Z is. He's the number one for features. He's probably the number one for interview shows. Do you think Jay-Z will pull up the Drink Champs? He, he definitely... 
it, it watches Drink Champs. Mm-hmm. Um, his nephew comes to, he's always on, on set. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man, to be honest with you. I, I would have, if you would have asked me this a year ago, I would have always probably said, yeah, for sure. It's going to, I mean, in my mind, everybody's going to make it to Drink Champs, you know, at least a, a certain tier of people that, that we expect. But I don't know, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know that that he would. I, I would hope he would, and that would be great. But then at the same time, I kind of would understand if he didn't, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, what, what makes you think that you, you can understand why he wouldn't? Why, why do you think he may not? I just think he's just, he's just such an, a serious icon right now. And him and Beyonce, they're just they're mm. such a, 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 a an example of, where hip hop can go and what hip hop can be. And, um, and I just don't know that, he, first of all, he doesn't need drink champs. <laughs> no. You know? So I just don't know that we can help the cause, you know, like getting drunk with those. I mean, first of all, I don't even think he would drink if, if anything, he'd have maybe, you know, one or two drinks of his own brand of stuff, but I don't think he would, he would definitely, he wouldn't get drunk. And, and maybe the camera on episode helps in the sense to, as an example of, you know, of not drinking and it still being a great episode, but yeah, I just, I just don't see the need for him. Therefore, other than if he feels like, you know what, I want to do it for quote unquote, the culture, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't think he needs it and, and, and he could do without it, but he would enjoy it from afar. <laughs> what do you think was the wildest story that was told on your show? Can be from any artist that you had on. Remember, we drink, so I have uh, <laughs> beer brain. I used to have Bacardi brain. Now I have beer brain. I forget so much. I mean, there's so many crazy stories. I mean, oh wow, one story. I don't even know if you want me to really say it. This this comes out on the on the university radio station. Yes, yeah, so, trust me. Go ahead. You have the free brain. Edit, <laughs> edit if you. I mean, just the story. And, and if you watch, you you've known the story that Nori has told with Kid Capri showing him like his first porn on, on, on tour. Oh. Like, I did see the clip about that. Yeah. With, I mean, I, and it was, I think Kid Capri's like his home porn, like something like that. Oh, something crazy like that. I mean, we've had so many crazy stories. Like I love the Prince stories. Um, the Michael Jackson stories. We've had an, a, a, a bunch of amazing stories to be on drink champs that I can't really pick one, but there's the outlandish ones that you know like that one that, that are just hilarious <laughs> you never think that way a kid capri but it's and that's what you guys do you bring in some a guest to just let out all the stories that they may have that you may not hear in journalistic interviews right it's just an open space and that's how interviews should be run where it's just open and they feel comfortable you guys make them feel comfortable and that's important i think one important interview that i really enjoyed and he was on my show in my sophomore year was mike geronimo that was an amazing interview. How open he was in that interview, opening up about his relationship with Irv Gotti and how he felt about him screwing yeah. him over pretty much. Yeah. No, I mean, that was, that was, and to me, those are the, that's the, that's what I, in my mind, that's what Drink Champs was for, you know, for, for these guys who haven't been doing a lot of interviews or at least a lot of high profile interviews, um, for them to come to a safe space and and say and do whatever they want to say and do i mean sometimes we might get this heat where people are like oh the drinks are there to set up the artist that is not true because as you can see with cameron as you can see with anybody else drink as much as you want to drink or don't drink at all um what it is is that it's the it's that same like i said that same environment that happens 
backstage or in the studio. And some people just want to, you know what, let loose and, and, and talk shop. And that's what we're doing. And, and that's what I loved about that episode. And, and he, you could tell he decided this is the place that I want to discuss these things. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he laid it out all, all on the table. And I think he felt great after it. I've heard many interviews and just artists reference drink champs, especially younger generation artists who talk about it. Do you think that you guys can bridge that gap with the disconnect between the old generation and new generation? Because if you listen to their music, I'll look at these new artists. They'll be like, rest a piece of DMX. But then you're coming out with the mumble track. It doesn't sound like you have much inspiration from them. And I'll I'll admit it. I'm a hater. I really don't like (laughs) the. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, try not to hate too much. You know, try to see the talent somewhere in there. But uh, like I told you before, you know, as long as they're acknowledging and trying to do the research of, of the history of the music that they're claiming to be a part of, that's the important part to me. But um, I do think that we, we, we are one of the things that, that can bridge that gap. And I learned that early on because when, from our first episode, when it hit, which was with Fat Joe, um, my goddaughter who lives in New York, she hit me up. And at the time, I think she was like 18. And she's like, you know, she's like, yo, you know, this is a big deal what you're doing. I'm like, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been in the game forever. So I'm like, what the podcasting them? She's like, yeah, it's a big deal. She's like my, my boyfriend, all his friends are listening to it. And they're all like 17, 18. And I was like, Oh damn. Like, you know, I didn't think it was going to vibe to, to a younger audience like that. I thought we were speaking to our age, our generation. Um, and so I've heard that. Yeah. You know, because, and then I, and then it reminded me of like when I was really young and how NWA called my attention and, and two life crew, because, they're, you know, it, it's like the stuff you're not supposed to listen to or hear, but you gravitate towards it. But then you kind of get like these these gems out of it. Um, that's what I feel like we can do for, for you know, cross, you know, the younger generation and, and bridging that gap where it's like they're watching their their uh, their drunk uncles, but they're like learning from their drunk uncles. And and that's what I want our legacy to be. Not that we're teaching you to get drunk. <laughs> and, and I'm hoping, you know, and I'm praying that that's the legacy we live that we leave behind. Who are some artists that you really enjoy listening to from the current age, the 2010s, the 2020s? I'm, I mean, here in hometown, Denzel Curry, man, is, mm-hmm. is he's amazing. lyrical too. What? He's he's off the chain, man. Enjoy badass. Mm-hmm. Um, those two right there, uh, obviously the the, the Griselda team, which is mm-hmm. crazy because. You know, who would have thought that, first of all, they were older cats coming out as new cats, you know, not that they were labeling some new, but it just showed you to me, they, they were prime example of everything I've always preached to people like be authentic, be yourself. Sometimes it happens in one year, sometimes it happens in 20 years, like, do you, as you would, you know, like, as you want to, you know, people to, to accept you and then that that's what they did, man, they did it their way, but they brought back that authentic, you know, hip-hop that that had been missing for a while at least missing in 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 terms of mainstream Mm -hmm. you know um and they made it cool man and and i and then they inspired a whole generation of 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 people that are doing that music now as well let's hope that that movement moves on takes the number one spot again and we can enjoy listening to these hip-hop records again for sure for sure i I mean, Dave East is doing it. You have, a, you have a bunch of lyrical artists out there that are doing it. We just need them on that stage with Lil TJ and all these other Lils right. out here. Right, right. 
Oh, man. DJ EFN, is there anything else you love to let the audience know? Anything else you guys want to promote here on the platform? Sure. I mean, check out, I have a, a documentary series that I've been working on for, for years now that, that I'm taking to the next level now, but it's called Coming Home. Um, I travel to different countries and basically explore the country through the through their hip hop scene and hip hop culture. Uh, wow. Like hip hop is basically our tour guide in, in the in the country. And we've done six films. Uh, four have been released on Revolt over the years. We did we went to Cuba, to Peru, to Haiti, to Vietnam, Colombia. Colombia is unreleased. And then right now we're finishing up South Africa. And I'm, I'm in negotiations for taking that series to another level. So check that out. Uh, you could check out the previous four films at crazyhood.com forward slash film. And then uh, check out, I have another podcast called Fatherhood. That's right. Basically hip hop pops talking about being parents. And, and that's basically what that's about. Fatherhoods. And, and you know, that's it, man. Drink champs and crazyhood.com drinkchamps.com. Check us out. Mm-hmm. When Drake comes on drink champs, you got to tell him to, to stop by your, his father to stop by your fatherhood's podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, no, Drake too. Shit, he's a father too. Yeah, he could. <laughs> You're exactly right, man. EFN, I had a great time talking with you today. Make sure you go stream Miami's Mixtape King. Go check that out, especially if you love the real hip hop, because this man cares about the culture. He's put in work since day one to keep it going, and we're going to keep it alive here. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. No, no problem. And tell them where you can, they can follow you at on Instagram and Twitter. Who's at crazy, crazy at DJFN. Yeah, yeah, at DJFN on Twitter, at Who's Crazy on uh, Instagram. Don't follow the fake at Who's Crazy, which just someone recently did some fake shit and started doing some scamming stuff. So be careful. It's at Who's Crazy and make sure the spelling is correct because he duplicated my profile. It looks like it's mine, but I'm verified. So just check for the verification. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, DJFN, thank you again for coming on the show. You're always welcome. Anytime you need any promo, just let me know. Appreciate it, homie. Take no doubt. Peace. Peace.